Chapter Twenty Five of News from Nowhere. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. News from Nowhere by William Morris. Chapter Twenty Five. The Third Day on the Thames. As we went down to the boat next morning, Walter could not quite keep off the subject of last night, though he was more hopeful than he had been then, and seemed to think that if the unlucky homicide could not be got to go over sea, he might at any rate go and live somewhere in the neighbourhood pretty much by himself. At any rate, that was what he himself had proposed. To Dick, and I must say to me also, this seemed a strange remedy, and Dick said as much. Quoth he, "'Friend Walter, don't set the man brooding on the tragedy by letting him live alone. That will only strengthen his idea that he has committed a crime, and you will have him killing himself in good earnest.' Said Clara, "'I don't know. If I may say what I think of it, it is that he had better have his fill of gloom now, and, so to say, wake up presently to see how little need there has been for it, and then he will live happily afterwards. As for his killing himself, you need not be afraid of that, for, from all you tell me, he is really very much in love with the woman, and, to speak plainly, until his love is satisfied, he will not only stick to life as tightly as he can, but will also make the most of every event of his life, will, so to say, hug himself up in it, and I think that this is the real explanation of his taking the whole matter with such an excess of tragedy." Walter looked thoughtful, and said, "'Well, you may be right, and perhaps we should have treated it all more lightly. But you see, guest, turning to me, such things happen so seldom that when they do happen we cannot help being much taken up with it. For the rest we are all inclined to excuse our poor friend, for making us so unhappy, on the ground that he does it out of an exaggerated respect for human life and its happiness. Well, I will say no more about it. Only this. Will you give me a cast upstream, as I want to look after a lonely habitation for the poor fellow, since he will have it so, and I hear that there is one which would suit us very well on the downs beyond Stretley, so if you will put me ashore there I will walk up the hill and look to it. Is the house in question empty? said I. No, said Walter, but the man who lives there will go out of it, of course, when he hears that we want it. You see, we think that the fresh air of the downs and the very emptiness of the landscape will do our friend good. Yes, said Clara, smiling, and he will not be so far from his beloved that they cannot easily meet if they have a mind to, as they certainly will. This talk had brought us down to the boat, and we were presently afloat on the beautiful broad stream, Dick driving the prow swiftly through the windless water of the early summer morning, for it was not yet six o'clock. We were at the lock in a very little time, and as we lay rising and rising on the incoming water, I could not help wondering that my old friend the pound-lock, and that of the very simplest and most rural kind, should hold its place there. So I said, "'I have been wondering, as we passed lock after lock, that you people, so prosperous as you are, and especially since you are so anxious for pleasant work to do, have not invented something which would get rid of this clumsy business of going upstairs by means of these rude contrivances. Dick laughed. My dear friend, said he, as long as water has the clumsy habit of running downhill, I fear we must humour it by going upstairs when we have our faces turned from the sea. And really I don't see why you should fall foul of Maple Durham Lock, which I think a very pretty place. 
There was no doubt about the latter assertion, I thought, as I looked up at the overhanging boughs of the great trees, with the sun coming glittering through the leaves, and listened to the song of the summer blackbirds as it mingled with the sound of the backwater near us. So not being able to say why I wanted the locks away, which indeed I didn't do at all, I held my peace. But Walter said, "'You see, guest, this is not an age of inventions. The last epoch did all that for us, and we are now content to use such of its inventions as we find handy, and leaving those alone which we don't want. I believe, as a matter of fact, that some time ago—I can't give you a date—some elaborate machinery was used for the locks, though people did not go so far as to try to make water run uphill. However, it was troublesome, I suppose, and the simple hatches and the gates with a big counterpoising beam were found to answer every purpose, and were easily mended when wanted with material always to hand. So here they are, as you see." "'Besides,' said Dick, "'this kind of lock is pretty, as you can see, and I can't help thinking that your machine-lock, winding up like a watch, would have been ugly, and would have spoiled the look of the river. And that is surely reason enough for keeping such locks as these." "'Good-bye, old fellow,' said he to the lock, as he pushed us out through the new open gates by a vigorous stroke of the boat-hook. "'May you live long, and have your green old age renewed for ever.' On we went, and the water had the familiar aspect to me of the days before Pangbourne had been thoroughly cocknified, as I have seen it. It, Pangbourne, was distinctly a village still. It est a definite group of houses, and as pretty as might be. The beech-wood still covered the hill that rose above Basildon, but the flat fields beneath them were much more populous than I remembered them, as there were five large houses in sight, very carefully designed so as not to hurt the character of the country. Down on the green lip of the river, just where the water turns toward the Goring and Stretley reaches, were half a dozen girls playing about on the grass. They hailed us as we were about passing them, as they noticed that we were travellers, and we stopped a minute to talk with them. They had been bathing, and were light-clad and barefooted, and were bound for the meadows on the Berkshire side, where the haymaking had begun, and were passing the time merrily enough till the Berkshire folk came in their punt to fetch them. At first nothing would content them but that we must go with them into the hayfield and breakfast with them. But Dick put forward his theory of beginning the hay-harvest higher up the water, and not spoiling my pleasure therein by giving me a taste of it elsewhere, and they gave way, though unwillingly. In revenge they asked me a great many questions about the country I came from and the manners of life there, which I found rather puzzling to answer, and doubtless what answers I did give were puzzling enough to them. I noticed both with these pretty girls and with everybody else we met, that in default of serious news, such as we had heard at Maple Durham, they were eager to discuss all the little details of life—the weather, the hay-crop, the last new house, the plenty or lack of such and such birds, and so on. And they talked of these things not in a fatuous and conventional way, but as taking, I say, real interest in them. Moreover, I found that the women knew as much about all these things as the men could name a flower, and knew its qualities, could tell you the habitat of such and such birds and fish, and the like. It is almost strange what a difference this intelligence made in my estimate of the country life of that day, for it used to be said in past times, and on the whole truly, that outside their daily work country people knew little of the country, and at least could tell you nothing about it, 
while here were these people as eager about all the goings-on in the fields and woods and downs as if they had been cockneys newly escaped from the tyranny of bricks and mortar. I may mention a detail worth noticing that not only did there seem to be a great many more birds about of the non-predatory kind, but their enemies the birds of prey were also commoner. A kite hung over our heads as we passed Medmenham yesterday. Magpies were quite common in the hedgerows. I saw several sparrow-hawks, and I think a merlin. And now, just as we were passing the pretty bridge which had taken the place of Basildon Railway Bridge, a couple of ravens croaked above our boat, as they sailed off to the higher ground of the downs. I concluded from all this that the days of the gamekeeper were over, and did not even need to ask Dick a question about it. End of chapter 25